Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. As you are making your way to the text and as people are making their way to their seats, I just want to take a, just a minute to thank everyone who contributed to uh, Vacation Bible School, to the best week ever. Uh, just a multitude of kids, a lot of families uh, not connected to our church. So many of you gave of your time. You volunteered in all kinds of different ways. Our staff worked really hard uh, to lead you and alongside of you uh, for God's glory and for the good of a lot of kids and families. And um, when, when I say it was a, of a crowd, I mean it was a crowd of folks here uh, throughout the week. We continue to see the fruit of God's spirit working in the hearts of families and kids. And so um, for those of you that don't know, best week ever, Vacation Bible School is a huge deal. Uh, it is one of the greatest evangelistic outreaches of the entire calendar year for the church. And not just our first church, but for every church. V VBS is a, is a good week for the local church. And so in order for us to do it here as big as we do it, we cannot do that without you. And so we're so grateful for how many of you uh, not just brought your children, but gave of your time to pour into the life of kids this week at uh, Best Week Ever. And so just thank you so much uh, for doing that. Uh, we challenge you to serve and to serve well, and we need to make sure that we thank you uh, when you do, because it's a great God-glorifying work. Uh, with that said, let me just uh, pray over our time today, read the scripture, and get straight to it. Lord. Thank you, Father, for the reminders, uh, Lord, within baptism, within the Lord's Supper, and also within the songs. God, we, um, God, we are so grateful that even now as I pray, I trust, oh God, that you hear our prayers, Father, because of the sacrificial blood. God, you save through the system of sacrifice. The channel between man and God is opened up. And God, we're so grateful, Father, for your listening ear, for your kindness towards us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would teach us now. Father, as we are talking to you, God, we, we just surely and simply pray that you talk to us. God, you speak to our heart, speak into our homes, speak to us right now, Father, where we've been, where we are, and where we need to go. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. <clears throat> Matthew 6, 25 through 34. The scripture says, Jesus said, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat and what will we drink and what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly father already knows all of your needs. So seek the kingdom of God above all else, live righteously, and he will give you everything that you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. 
Today is enough trouble for today. As we continue this sermon series called This is the Life, you can be by the pool, up in the mountains, or beside the ocean, but if your mind is consumed with concern, there is no rest or retreat. You can be in this sanctuary and still miss an entire service because of worry. In Matthew chapter six, Jesus gives the command, do not worry. Now this is where I lead into a message and completely change the game because we're not going to get to this message until next week. So if you think to yourself, this is the message for me, thank you so much for being here. We'll see you again, same time and place next week. Because this command of do not worry that we will discuss comes with much context. So much is said before this passage that we need to look at before we get to the command of do not worry. And the context of this passage of do not worry, this command of do not worry, is the context of money and possessions. Now everybody is truly fired up. As we all want to come to church and hear the pastor talk about money. You know, those things I think to myself, listen, if it's in there, we're gonna preach it. If it's not, then I won't. If you're reading your Bible, you already know that it's coming, right? The context is money and possessions. We are likely in our culture today in a more comfortable culture today than most of human history has ever been in. Our local context is not determined, not defined by one of want. Our local context for the most part is defined by abundance. So church, I'd caution every single one of us beginning with me to be slow to dismiss and quick to consider when Jesus teaches about money and possessions like seen in the scripture today. As it relates to the series of a desired life, the this is the life idea. One commentary said the following, we try so hard within our materialistic culture to create heaven on earth and to throw Christianity in when convenient as another small addition to the so-called good life. Oh God, would you please challenge us and change us? Lord, at least remind us of the truth that we have already believed and attest to in Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus says in Matthew chapter six, before the command of do not worry, he says in verses 19 through 20, verses 19 through 20, the Bible says, don't store up treasures on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store up your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. For wherever your treasure is, the desires of your heart will also be. C.S. Lewis wrote, do not let your happiness depend on something that you may lose. What should be our treasure is that which can never be taken from us. Eternal life from an eternal God and an eternal purpose should be the treasure of every believer. If it's not, we have given our hearts over to something that, that we can never fully experience. Something or some, someone even that we can never fully and forever enjoy. 
Wealth of the ancient world regularly consisted of precious metals and cloths, very much like it is today when you think about it. But this is why Jesus mentioned the corruption, corrosion of those cloths and metals due to moths and rust. I want you to think this morning of your most prized possession. Now, I need you to get past the Sunday school answer in your mind. Like if we're sitting in a group, y'all are gonna say, it's my family Bible, man. <laughs> well, God bless you if it is, but right now I need you to get good honest with yourself, all right? What is your most prized possession? Is it a piece of jewelry? Is it a family heirloom? Is it a photograph that you treasure because of someone that it's connected to? Maybe it's bigger than that. Maybe it's a car, maybe it's a house, something. What is it? And you don't have to share with your neighbor, but right now, what is that most prized possession in your mind that comes to mind very quickly that belongs to you that is physical? And if you had that possession in your hand or within, that, within your grasp or you were near it and you were held at the point of a weapon with someone saying, hand it over or else, what would be your reaction? What would be your response? Because you hear people in TV shows and movies say things like, you'll never take this from me. You're gonna have to pry it out of my cold, dead hand in order for you to get this possession from me. All right, so if you have that possession in mind and this would be your response when challenged by the threat of your life, you can be assured that is your treasure. 100% hands down. If you are willing to lay down your life for a worldly possession, your treasure is here on earth. Treasure in heaven is relative to what is in heaven. Let me better put it this way. Treasure in heaven is relative to who is in heaven. The eternal presence of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the souls of those who trust him are in heaven. Therefore, to store up treasure in heaven is to invest our life into the Lord and to what the Lord values and to the people that know him, or listen to this, and to the folks that could know him. That is storing up treasure in heaven for yourself. In Luke chapter 16, verse nine, Jesus said, now watch this. Jesus said, use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. That's what the Bible says. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Now again, follow the next verse. Then when your possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. Let's keep going with what Jesus has said. And let me ask you before the next verse, what does the Bible say is the most important commandment according to scripture? What is the most important commandment of God according to the Bible? The Bible says to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. To love God and to love people for the glory of God should be the desire of every Christian's heart. It should be the treasure of our life, our relationship to holy God. We have no business claiming that we are right with our Lord 
but he gives us a way to be right with him through the sacrificial life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We have a right relationship with God by the unmerited favor of God because of that and because he is almighty and over everything and everything is through him and for him. Our prized possession is our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It can never be taken from us. And it's out of that relationship that we love people. We love people like God loved us and we love people towards the love of God for them. And to love God and people for the glory of God should be the treasure of God's people, the treasure that defines us. Because those things are beyond corruption. Those things are beyond deterioration. They are insulated from thievery. It cannot be stolen. It cannot be taken away. So that which we have physically should not be a treasure. It should be a resource for those things. All the material possessions should be a resource for life, a life of leaning into the Lord, a life of serving the Lord, a life of loving people and reaching to those who don't know him, but that could. Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, verse 21, that a person is a fool to store up wealthly or earthly wealth, but not to have a rich relationship with God. Man, look at it one more time. A person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. I'm gonna tell y'all, let me just stop for just a second and say this. This message is tough. I mean, it, it'll get us. Does that make sense? When we always say, hey, don't take it personal unless it's personal, for the daytime and context that we live in, when Jesus preaches on money and possessions, it's gonna get us. Because I think to myself in my life, how much of this week has been spent on the grind relative to work in comparison with the value of my relationship with God? Because when I get real gut honest, the Lord may be showing me how I'm building up a treasure chest of stuff that he don't value. Again, the scripture says in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, life is not measured by how much you own. So I pray, I pray that our, our needs would be met and that our relationships would be rich because our life is measured by the treasure that should be a rich relationship with God and a God-honoring relationship with others. Now, brothers and sisters, let's talk about money for a second. Money is amoral. It's amoral. Meaning, right or wrong depends upon whose hands it's in. You hear me? You can be poor and generous or poor and greedy. You can be wealthy and generous or wealthy and greedy. It all depends upon whose hands it's in. And the hands of a Christian are to be thankful to the Lord, open to the poor, and generous to the mission. That's so good, let me say it one more time. That the hands of the Christian are to be thankful to the Lord, open to the poor, and generous to the mission of Jesus Christ. Money is neither right nor wrong. It depends upon whose hands it's in. Now, that's not all the Bible has to teach about money. Did you know that the Bible says that money is really helpful? 
How many of you read Ecclesiastes? Ecclesiastes is what? It's wisdom literature. The wisdom literature of Ecclesiastes says in chapter seven, verse 11, wisdom is even better when you have money. Sometimes you'll read the Bible and be like, whoa, I haven't seen that one. And God is like, why don't you come back again and we'll talk. Wisdom is even better when you have money because the Bible says both are a benefit as you go through life. But did you notice what the scripture says and what it did not say? The Bible says that both are a benefit, that money is a benefit. It is not, it, it is gain, it is not a God. It even goes further because you, that's why you gotta, y'all please, for the life of me, let us not be known as a church that pulls out verses at random and says, preacher said money's good, they'll go make it. And y'all laugh, churches do that all the time. They got one verse they cling to and there's a whole bunch more that would add to it and, and get it lined up. Now, when the scripture says wisdom is even better when you have money, both are a benefit as you go through life. Verse 12, the following verse says, wisdom and money can get you almost anything. But notice the change of direction. But only wisdom can save your life. This is also written by Solomon who had everything ever. Solomon had, had more than you can imagine. And his conclusion at the end of Ecclesiastes, fear God and obey his commandments. That is the duty of every person. The wisdom of God when the scripture says, listen to this now, wisdom and money can get you almost anything, but only wisdom can save your life. Do you know who the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 1.30 is wisdom itself? Jesus. The scripture says, this is why you keep reading. The scripture says that Jesus is wisdom itself. So the Bible says that wisdom is even better when you have money. Jesus is even better when you have money? How so? because you can take care of yourself and somebody else. See, wisdom says when it's raining outside, get yourself an umbrella. And if you've got money, you can put that wisdom to effect by get you, getting you an umbrella that shades you and covers you from the rain. But wisdom and money, Jesus and money, means that you get yourself an umbrella and one for somebody else who needs one. You see, that's, that's what wisdom and money do. That's what Jesus and resources do. It works for the glory of God and the good of man. Again, the scripture calls wisdom itself Jesus, meaning the wisdom of God is Jesus. Only Jesus can save your life. You cannot buy your way into heaven. You cannot give enough to be right with God. Verse 12 of Ecclesiastes 7 says, wisdom and money can get you almost anything, but only wisdom can save your life. Listen to me today, families. Money can buy you a house, but only wisdom can fix your family. Money can buy you medicine, but only wisdom can keep you from destructive choices and substances. Once again, God places godly values above earthly gain. Man, we just need to get it in perspective this morning, don't we? I think it was <clears throat> to mention that not, not just anything, but anything or anyone 
that tempts our heart away from a rich relationship with the Lord is leading us towards idolatry. This is why you have to be careful, little eyes, for what you see. This is why you have to be careful of what your heart desires when at night you get on Facebook Marketplace and you're like, those things are awesome. And I give that as a real example because I get on Facebook Marketplace and there are things that I'm like, I'd like to have not one of those, but like 10 of them. And we gotta be careful with those things because enough of it will give you an indication of what's in your heart. We can deny it all we want to, but if we're seeking the pages of Amazon more than we're seeking the pages of the scripture, you're gonna have a good indication of where your heart is. God places godly values above earthly gain. Again, don't take it personal unless it's personal. Don't, don't put it on unless it fits. I would suggest today that if conviction fits where the teaching on money and possession lies, hey, make some changes, amen? We're alive and breathing and the Spirit of God is working. Make some changes where the conviction sets. Make, make some changes according to what the Lord is doing in your heart. If what's on your mind and on your time, if what you're known for needs to have a godly adjustment, then let it be. For the rest of our days, instead of continuing to be about what we get and where we go, we should consider what we give and how we serve. Why? Because Jesus teaches on storing up treasures in heaven. Because a lot of the things we spend on can be taken. Now, I've been thinking a good bit about those words, don't store up lately. Don't store up. Again, look there in the scripture. Jesus says, don't store up treasures here on earth. This means don't keep and don't seek. I heard a preacher say recently, we, the things that we have, we are to use, not to stockpile. That's a good word, isn't it? Because I'll be cleaning out things in my closet or things in my office and I'll come across something that I haven't seen in three years. And I'll be like, I better keep it. <laughs> better keep it. You just never know. You just never know when I'm gonna have this manual from a conference from 16 years ago. I better keep it. For what? Right, and I get to this place where when I look through things like that and I haven't seen or thought about it in 10 years, probably okay to let her go. Probably okay to give it away if it may benefit someone else or just to make space, right? I mean, it's probably a point of wisdom to not put so much hold on the things that we don't even know what we have. Don't misunderstand. Saving, saving is wise and it's biblical. But if saving keeps you from giving and if saving keeps you from living, then your saving has moved past the point of stewardship towards treasuring what can be stolen or destroyed. Storing up treasures in heaven. How do we do those things practically? We worship, we give generously towards the things that God values. We, we serve towards the things that God values. We build relationships for what God values. We disciple and make disciples because that's what he's commanded us to do. We're part of discipleship. We're a part of evangelism. These are relative to who is in heaven and relative to who could be in heaven. Now, look at Matthew chapter six, verses 22 through 23. 
Matthew 6, 22 and 23, the Bible says, Jesus, all right, Jesus taught that you can find out what is in your heart by discerning what your real treasure is. And then he teaches in verse 22, your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. The healthy eye lights up your life. If the eye is healthy, what do you see? You see shapes and colors. You see people, living beings that God has created. You see shapes and size and movement. When your eye is healthy, y'all, you see the world as it truly is for how God has created it. If the eye is unhealthy, then you at least have blurred vision and at most have complete darkness. I did an experiment with this in my office last week. My office is directly looking out at Lindsay Lane and our digital sign that's there has got different things relative to the church that continues to pop up, right? Scrolling through. Hopefully you're looking at it. That's just another way that the church is trying to communicate with you, with you and to take away your excuse of they don't tell us anything. <laughs> All of y'all that want a bulletin, memorize it. It's there, I promise. Okay, that's another sermon. <clears throat> See, love, people love the bulletin. I took my glasses off in the office and I was like, I'm going to see what I can see from that digital sign. Because I wear glasses, I wear contacts, I am nearsighted, I'm not farsighted, so when I take my glasses off, I'm, I'm close to blind. So I take my glasses off and I look to the digital sign. And the first word that I see, that I write down, is hallelujah. And then I put my glasses on, and Andrew, who loads those, knows that ain't on there because the first word that I see is Instagram. <laughs> I thought it said hallelujah. All right, continue the experiment. I take the glasses off. The next thing I see is light shine. I'm going, man, this is good, man. We're just trying to light up the neighborhood. You know what I mean? This is all godly words that I can get. Light shine. Nope, it said listen online. <laughs> That's it. So when your vision is blurred, the truth is affected. Are you hearing that? The truth is affected. So I, I thank the Lord for my glasses because without them, listen, I'm guessing at the truth. You may have light that is actually darkness. When you do not see through the lens of God who is light and there is no darkness in him at all, when you, do, when you do not see through the lens of God and his word and his spirit, you are at most seeing darkness, at least you have blurred vision. You're not seeing the truth. You're not seeing it as God sees it. We've got church members that line up with cultural views because they are looking at cultural views through their own lens, through their own conclusions, through the lines of relationships and the context of tradition instead of the word of God. See, when you don't look at it through the light, you at least get a blurred vision. Now, when I look at a sign out there and I think that it says 
Light shine, but it actually says, listen online. Hey, no big deal, right? It's really not gonna affect that much. But when I'm on the road and the sign says wrong way, and I think it says, what a burger, there's gonna be quite a problem there. <laughs> then I'm going in a wrong direction. And this happens in our life. The base truth is my eyes are unhealthy. And because they are, I cannot see the truth. And so I live life guessing what is right and what is real. The, the, this is following the preceding passage. And why is it there? Why did Jesus put this whole thing about looking uh, to, into the light and the light being what goes into your body, your body filled with darkness? Why did Jesus put that there? If we don't see temporary material treasure, if we don't see money and possessions according to the word and will of God, we'll actually be getting it wrong. I wonder, if, can, we, can we be okay still adults with the Bible calling us out on something? I wonder that as I get older, Am I gonna grow from the point that I'm at to a point that I need to be? Or am I just gonna settle in right here and his lordship will only go that far? I mean, think about this as it challenges us. It's at this point where we have to ask ourselves, how do we see what we have and what we want to have? Most of us have more to eat and drink and more to wear than we can even manage. Do we see what we have, what we possess literally and physically as a benefit? Now again, this is, what this is not determined to do is to make everybody go home and just rip their lives apart unless the Lord leads you to. But again, we are to be stewards of resources as a benefit towards service to others and to glorify God, not to stockpile things because we like it. Do we see what we have as a benefit, something that is good and helpful in our hands or possession? Would it be more of a benefit put to use for someone else? What if what we have, we discover we haven't used in five years, but somebody could use it in five minutes? Would it be better in their hands? Would it be more of a benefit for someone else? Would it be better if we took better care of it? Even in saying this, I have two dents that are matching in the bumper of my truck. It might last longer if I take better care of it. This is the stuff that I'm dealing with this week. I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you, the Lord's hitting me right between the eyes. Some of y'all will be like, man, that was really convicting. And my response is usually this. It always gets to me first. It steps on my toes before it gets to yours. Otherwise, I'm not doing it right. Maybe it's all a better of taking better care. Well, in Jewish writings, a good eye represented a generous attitude and a bad eye represented, represented an attitude that was stingy, miserly, and miserable. You may be hoarding pennies and consider yourselves wise as a saver, but if your resources could be better served for the glory of God, you're filling up your life with darkness. What if we're spending much but giving little? Is this light? If not, what is it? Listen, we're all here to get better together for the glory of God, amen? And the good of man, and sometimes we need to go to the eye doctor. Sometimes we need to sit there and be evaluated by the Lord and let God speak into our life so that our life 
lines up more with what he values because at the end of our life and we're looking back, we're not gonna be thinking about marketplace and Amazon. And we're gonna be thinking about the opportunities that God gave us that we missed because we were not focused on things that were light and we were focused on things that would really, if we're honest, be in the category of darkness. We need to see our life as it really is, according to the Lord. Now, one more word on this. To see the world in a blurred manner is bad enough, but to see the world blind is worse. And that is what much of our world is experiencing now. Meaning, there is a progressive sense of enlightenment, but in reality, it's only a present state of darkness. Religion, tradition, humanism, all of those words are just $5 words for darkness at the end of the day. Now let's close with verse 24. Verse 24, the Bible says, Jesus says, no one can serve two masters for you will hate one and you'll love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. The two masters of scripture that Jesus presents are money and possessions and the Lord. And he says, you cannot serve both of those things. Your heart cannot be devoted to both of those things. Why is that? Because I think we try to strike this balance between work ethic and making money and those things that, that we do enjoy and serving the Lord. But it should look like this if we're honest. Serving the Lord should look like this and everything else should be somewhere here. See, that's the challenge of all of this and the culture that we live in. No one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Both of these are in the world, but only one of those should mean the world. Because if both mean the world to you, then neither mean the world to you. You see, to be loyal to two is to be disloyal to one. Okay, a long time Alabama and Auburn fans. For those of you that are moving into North Alabama and don't have a clue what this craziness is called the Iron Bowl. For those long time Alabama and Auburn fans, when you ask somebody that is born and raised in this state who they favor, Alabama or Auburn, and they go, I don't know, kind of both. Y'all good with that? No, don't you say like, well, that's right, you can do that. I don't see why not. Are you kidding? We get like to this place where we're like, what are you doing? You can't, you can't be both, you gotta be one or the other. If you wear crimson with your blue and orange, orange you're being disloyal to one. I don't know which one it is. And we had a guy and he knows who he is. He's in here this morning. He was helping during VBS. He wore an Alabama cap last week. He's not from here. And I just stopped him and I said, why would you choose them? <laughs> you're, you're not from here. He's not. He's one of these Northern guys. I, comes down here, puts a crimson hat on. You don't have to make that choice. And then the next day, he wears an Auburn cap in here. And now I'm like, now I'm just gonna spit you out of my mouth like the Bible says, man. <laughs> That's just lukewarm water. You pick one. I'd rather have you be full crimson. 
And some of you that are not from here and you're like, what is he even talking about? I don't even, I don't even know. But if you're loyal to both, if you're loyal to both, you are disloyal to one. And the only one that matters is the master who is eternal God and has given of himself to save all of us who would believe even when we don't deserve it. You know, I've never met anyone who would honestly tell you that their God was material treasure. Have you? Have you ever met anyone even when witnessing or maybe just having a conversation when you're like, tell me about what you believe. They're like, oh, I believe in material treasure. My God is possessions and uh, nobody ever admits to that. You know the reason why they don't, why we don't? It's too shallow and we know it. The challenge lies not with anyone agreeing with what Jesus has taught. The challenge lies within one seeing this teaching that it could actually be applicable to them. Yet Jesus taught this to the disciples. And if Jesus taught this to the disciples, then it's teaching that the church today must receive. We would all agree, money and possessions are always competing for our heart. Is money bad? No, money is immoral. It's depending upon whose hands it's in. Money can actually be very, very good as it can benefit the gospel and the good of people to a great degree. It can also take care of you within the world that God has set up and it can benefit others who belong to you or that you love. No, money is, is not bad, it's immoral. But money and possessions are always competing for our heart when it comes to the Lord. And this is why Jesus addresses it and the word master that he uses there in the scripture. No one can serve two masters. Master requires what? Total allegiance total allegiance. And when we revere the Lord as master appropriately, we will choose he who will always be our treasure instead of money and possessions that cannot be eternally kept. Now I'm going to throw something at you this morning before we close. Church, many of us today are so concerned about different agendas in our world, and rightfully so, rightfully so. We are absolutely consumed and concerned with progressive liberalism, humanism, but it may be that materialism is more damaging and threatening than those. Nobody says amen to that, and I know why. Because this is the one that competes for our heart more than all the other ones. And while resources can help us live for the Lord, they were never meant to be the object of our being, the object of our faith, the priority of our time. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would stand to your feet, I offer to you today this altar that's just a way to pray. There's nothing that says you have to come and lay before the Lord, but there's something special about getting on your knees before God. And if God has brought this up in your heart and your life today, and there's things that you need to deal with, then from this point to the next time we gather, seek the Lord and let God teach us. Amen. Let, let him train us how to look more like him. But I can tell you for sure that money and possessions will not lead you to heaven. 
And it's hard to get there if that is your God. Jesus is the only capital G God. He has involved himself with the world to the point of his life, death, and resurrection of the Son of God. And our faith and belief in Jesus is rewarded with an eternal treasure that can never be taken away. He is the only way, the only God. Amen? Lord, we leave the decisions to you, O oh God. Father, if it's time for us to turn from where we are and turn to who you are, Lord, that we would do that today. There may be one or many that this is their struggle. Lord, and I know we all face the threat of idolatry when it comes to money and possessions. So Lord, every day by the power of your spirit, teach us. Father, I pray that what's blurred or what's dark in our life, that you would call it out. Father, what's light, I pray, God, you would use it as a resource for others, oh God. Lord, I'm encouraged because I know so many in here, Father, I'm thankful for the generosity of so many. Thankful, Father, for the big gospel work that you've always done through this church. I pray that it would always continue. Lord, from where we are, if we need sharpening, if we need to be stronger, Lord, if this looks like going home and making arrangements, rearranging, or Lord, if it just is an eye-opening truth from where we are, lead us to where we need to be. Lord, if there are those who need to be baptized, they need to join the church. Or Lord, if there's one or more that need to be saved today, oh God, I pray, Father, this would be the day where they take that step of faith and obedience in Jesus' name. Amen. This altar and our leaders are here for you.